0: Father, thank you, God, for tonight, for this wonderful time of worship that we've had. God, um, we know, God, we know that there's no other place that we can go besides to the name of Jesus Christ. God, in our time of desperation, in our times of greatest need, there's no other human being in the world that could satisfy our deepest need. God, there's only you. There's only your son, Jesus Christ, God, that can come to our rescue. God, you did that. You did that. When your son went to the cross, reaching every one of us, God, he, he, he went to our rescue. God, we had no hope. God, we were lost, and we were completely dead in our sins. And because you loved us so much, you sent your son to that cross. God, thank you for coming to our rescue. God, I know that some of us in this place are struggling. God, we've got heartache. We've got things that we're just dealing with, and life is hard. I know that. God, but there's no other name. God, there's no other place we can run. We have to run to the name of Jesus Christ. We have to to run to you, our rescuer, our redeemer. God, we thank you, Lord, for giving us hope, for giving us strength when we're weak. God, be glorified now as we study your word. As you speak to us, I pray that our hearts and our minds are open to what you have to say to us. And God, I know that your word has a power to change lives, so I pray that you do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So one thing I forgot to mention to you is that we do have uh, small group leaders that are back there with your kids, so we don't just turn them loose back at a table and say, y'all figure it out, God is good, the Holy Spirit will inspire you to know what this passage means, if you have any questions, ask God. No, we actually have adult leaders who will be back there with your kids, so don't worry about that. We do have, have people that, that we trust and people that are, are, have proven themselves as Christians to be able to lead your students and to pray for them and to... care for them and all those kinds of things, so don't be weirded out by that. I didn't mention that we have small group leaders, but we do. They're back there with your kids. Uh, Connie, if you don't mind, can we just put up on there the simplify, uh, I guess you would call it motto. Uh, No matter if you're a Christian or not, you have questions about God. Teens want straight answers. That's what simplify is all about. we want to simplify the complex and proclaim the name of Jesus, and that's just what we do. I don't try to overreach. Well, sometimes I do, admittedly. Uh, but when I, when I try to teach you guys, I try to keep it simple, and I, I don't try to use big words and try to make it like so complex, you're like, I don't know what that means, Kenny, can you explain that? Hopefully, when you walk ar- away from this place on a Wednesday night, you go, you know, I get it. I, really, I didn't get it before, but I get it now. I, I understand something now that I didn't understand before, so... That's what Simplify is all about. It really is about simplifying the complex. I'm going to show you an example tonight of why I use the NLT version. Some people are like, why don't you use uh, the New Living Translation? Why don't you use that version when you talk to people, when you preach God's Word? Aren't you supposed I mean, isn't that like blasphemy against God if you, if you don't preach out of the King James Version or something like that? And I would say, you know what kind of Bible you need to get? You know what version you need to get? One that you'll read. One that you'll actually say, I want to sit down and I want to read this because I can understand it, because it speaks to me. Sometimes you get out your King James version. I've got one at home. There's nothing wrong with a King James version. I just think there's better versions out there. Uh, and, and everybody's like, oh, that was the original word of God. <laughs> yeah, Jesus didn't speak English, in case you were wondering. Um, it's a translation. And some people that are very smart, they put together that translation, and that's great and that's wonderful, but I can tell you this, as time has gone on, we understand more and more and more about the words that they spoke and what their meaning was, so we're able to develop better translations. Now, some of you are like, ready to throw stones at me? That's okay. I've had people that wanted to throw stones at me before, it doesn't bother me. But tonight we're going to be looking in the NLT version, like I always preach out of, because it's, it's very simple to understand this passage where if you have an ESV version, which happens to be my favorite version, uh, if you have one of those, it's not so easy to understand. We get into a word called uh, propitiation. Everybody's like, oh yeah, I know what propitiation is. Uh, if you want to stand up and proclaim and let me know what propitiation is, you can... Okay, that's what I thought. So we, we may know what it is, but I don't think we're willing to... To get up here and maybe proclaim it in front of everybody and say, here's what propitiation means. That's why we use the NLT version, so we can simplify the complex and talk to you about God in a way that you'll understand, in a way that you'll go, okay, yeah, I get it. One of the questions people often have, we're going to be in the book of Romans, by the way, which we have been um, for the past uh, two weeks, actually three weeks, we went to see the Uh, the movie War Room last week, so we didn't actually have a service. We went to see the movie War Room. All you people that are just coming here for the first time are like, man, I came a week late. You did. You should have came with us last week. We went to see War Room. It was really good. Um, Anyway, so we're going to be in the book of Romans again. We'll be in Romans chapter three. That's because the first two weeks we're in Romans chapter one, then Romans chapter two, and now Romans chapter three. See how that works? It's like in order like that. It's really cool. Uh, God's word can be read like that. You don't have to go Romans chapter three and then 1 Corinthians, and then like over here in Leviticus, I mean, you really can just kind of progress through the Bible, and it will speak to you, and you understand some stuff about God. You really can. Uh, we're going to be in Romans, and what is Romans about? Uh, what, what is it really, I mean, what is it trying to tell us? I mean, we talked about the, f- the fact that if you're in Rome, that it's a very difficult place to live. People aren't really, they aren't really down with Christians, you know, they like to, to kill Christians wrap them up in animal skins and feed them to lions and stuff like that. It's not good to be in Rome and be a Christian. They don't really like them so much. And here you got Paul talking to the Romans. He's telling them, man, let me give you some basic understanding. What is Romans all about? It's all about salvation and explaining salvation. That's why you, you've probably heard the term Romans Road before. And some people like have memorized the Romans Road. they picked and choose certain verses out of Romans that kind of explain the plan of salvation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm guessing if I were to ask people if you could recite the Romans Road to me, just raise your hand or stand up and recite the passages on the Romans Road so that you could share the gospel with somebody one-on-one. There probably wouldn't be a whole lot of people to raise their hands. Now, there might be. There might be a couple. There might be one. Uh, but for me to say, you know what, this is what you need to memorize in order to be able to share the gospel, I would think that that would be, I mean, if you think about the number of people that could do that, I think that would be so short-sighted to say that you have to memorize the Romans Road in order to be able to share the gospel. You know what I think you need to be able to do to share the gospel with somebody? You have to be able to give your testimony. Oh, what is that? Uh, That's what God has done in your life. Uh, You can't mess that up. Can you? If I said, tell your story, if I asked everybody, in the room, if you could tell your story about what God has done in your life, would you stand up? I believe everybody in this place could stand up and say, I can tell you what God did in my life. I can tell you how he's transformed me. I can tell you how he continues to work in my life. I can tell you the things that God has shown me. That's what you need in order to be able to share the gospel, is you need a testimony. And if you don't have one, that means you're not saved. It means you're not a Christian. You're not a believer in Jesus Christ. So every person that's a believer has a testimony. And every person that has a testimony can share the gospel. Because you can share that testimony. You can tell people that God is good and God saved you. Did I want you to memorize the Romans Road? If you did, that'd be great. But I don't really preach like the Romans Road is taught. I don't really take a verse here and take a verse over here and take a verse over here and mesh it all together and say, there you go. There's your plan. I kind of go through the Bible and I, I show you a passage and we we throw light on it and we say, what is God saying right here? And, and I think everybody in here probably could take their Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. I think you could probably turn to the book of Romans chapter 3. If you want, if you want me to tell you something you can memorize so that you can, you can go and, and share the gospel with somebody, memorize, memorize this, Romans 3.23. And start there and go through 3.26. And tell somebody, this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be a Christian. If you can memorize Romans 3.23 and start there, you can share the gospel with somebody and say, hey, let me look on my phone. Let me see what it says in God's word, Romans 3.23. I got that. I know, I know, let me, I, I don't have it memorized, but I can, I can go to it and look at my Bible and tell you what it says. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to re- look at Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 21. and we'll just read from it on the screen. It's a little bit easier for me. The words on the page are a little bit small. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. It was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So here Paul's talking and he's like, you know what? God has shown us how we can be made right with Him. Uh, What does that mean? We can be made right with Him. That means to, to come in alignment with God, for your heart to be in alignment with God, for, for, you, to be, to, for you to be in, in congruence, in, in, to be meshed with God, for you to be one with God, for you to be in alignment with God. God can, can do that. And he's shown us how to do that. And how has he shown us that? In Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul's kind of starting right here. I know it's kind of weird to jump in with verse 21, but we we were talking about Christ. We're talking about salvation. And and, and God's trying to say, or Paul's trying to say that that God has made a way that, that you can come into an alignment with God. You can come into literally into agreement with God. You can be made right with God. You can be seen as clear, clean before God. You can do that. Just as you've been promised. And he says all the way back from, from the things that Moses told you, all, all the way back to Genesis. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, and, and God has been making promises about how you can be made right with Him. Well, that's good news for us, right? Like, you want to be right with God. Everybody, everybody in here would be like, yeah, I want to be right with God. I do. And he said, it's been promised for a long, long time. What did the, what, what did the prophets talk about? They talked about a Messiah that was to come, one that would save us, one that would be the ultimate sacrifice. What did Moses talk about? Uh, in, in the first books of the Bible, Moses talked about sacrifices. Talking about how you were to make sacrifices. Now, we're going to come to a kind of important question here. I'm going to kind of spoil it for you and go ahead and tell you that, that what we're going to talk about is, like, did the animal sacrifices that they used to make in the Old Testament, did that, like, save them? Is that what saved them? You ever been asked that question? What, what about the people that came before Jesus? How were they saved? I, I, I know that people are asking that question because my daughter said she goes to a Christian school. This was brought up in her class in, in just the past week. Like, what, what about the people before Jesus? How did they get saved? You ever think somebody's going to ask you that question if you're at school? You better believe they will. My daughter goes to a Christian school, and they're supposed to know the answer to it, right? Because she goes to a Christian school. I guarantee if you go to Oxford or Alexandria or Weaver or Mumford or wherever you go, I guarantee you somebody's likely to ask you that question and if they are truly interested in what it means to be a Christian. Well, what about all the guys in the Old Testament? How did they get saved? Jesus hadn't been on the cross yet. How did that happen? Am I right, Cassidy? This came up just recently, Right? here it is. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now, understand that the Jews often, or the Israelites, the Jews, whatever you want to call them, they often like thought that we are God's people, so we are supposed to be given special privilege when it comes to things of God. We're, you're supposed to like look at us and be like, man, those are God's people. God made a covenant with them. God made a promise with them. So these are God's special people. And Paul shakes all that up. He says, you ain't special no more. Anybody in here like to be told that they're not special? I don't think so. Everybody wants to be in the in crowd. Nobody wants to be on the outside. And like when you tell me that I'm in a club of all the cool people... And then you open that up, you're like, well, everybody's in the club of all the cool people. Then you're like, well, that ain't cool. You know what I mean? You're like, well, I don't like that anymore. I wanted to be in the cool people group and be like, this was our little club, little, knit, uh, little group of, of cool people, and now it's open to everybody. I, I think that there's probably some Jews that when they said this, it shook up everything. They didn't like it very much. They were like, you mean those people we don't like, they're just like us? See, that's the whole thing about Jesus, man. Uh, He doesn't really do in crowds too much. He's not really into that. He he doesn't show favoritism. James tells us that that we're not supposed to show favoritism because God doesn't show favoritism. It's just not the way that it's supposed to be. That's why this place, Simple Church, is the island of misfit toys. It's because we all don't fit in. We know that we don't fit in. We know that we're a bunch of hodgepodge, mismatched. All kinds of messed up people and we're okay together because we all are like, we're in the in crowd now because everybody's in the in crowd. That's good news for us misfits, right? We automatically get included into the in crowd. That's great news for me because I'm kind of a geek and I kind of don't fit in and I do the awkward silence thing a lot. So I, it's, uh, it's a good, good news for me that I get to be in the in crowd. And here Paul's telling these people that it doesn't matter who you are, you get to be in the in crowd. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. This this is what's the common denominator. Here's why. Here's why. Because the next verse what it says. Because we've all sinned. You you know why there's nothing special about Jews versus Gentiles? You know why there's nothing special about people from Oxford versus Alexandria? Or or people that go to faith Christian school versus uh, Mumford? You know why there's no difference? Because of the next verse. It says, for we all have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned. If you're without sin, then that just means you're Jesus, right? There's only been one that was without sin, and that was Jesus Christ. But because we all have sinned, that puts us on the same playing field. We're all just alike because we've all sinned. Even if you're a Jew, you've sinned. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. I thought I was in the in crowd, but now you go pointing out this sin thing. It turns out I'm just like everybody else. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't matter whether you're standing up here on this platform or out there sitting in the red chairs. We all have sinned. We don't get any special treatment or privilege just because of our standing. It is like every single one of us are on the same plane. Where everyone has sinned, for and we all fall short of God's Glorious standard. What is his standard? What's God's standard? Anybody know? It's perfection. Anybody in here perfect? Uh, there's a church in uh, in Atlanta that we go by every single time that we go uh, to the Braves game. Has anybody ever seen this? I know that some of my college students have seen this because I've taken them to the Braves game before. But it's called Perfect Church. you ever seen Perfect Church? You need to Google that one. There's a sign on the outside of the church on your way to the Braves game to... When you park on, like, whatever it is, the west side of the field or whatever, and it's called Perfect Church. And it, I take my kids by there every time. And we turn the, the bus right in front of Perfect Church, and people are snapping pictures. And it's like, that's Perfect Church. I was like, man, that's where I want to go. I want to go to Perfect Church. Probably go in there and it would be empty, right? <laughs> there wouldn't be any people in there. It would be perfect because it was empty. All the people were gone. Uh, can I tell you a joke real quick? This just occurred to me. I... I, I I like jokes. Maybe I've told this before from up here. I don't know. But anyway, so this man gets rescued from a deserted island, right? And they go to pick him up. You know, he's been there for a long, long time. They go to pick him up, and, and he's uh, he gets on the boat, and, and he's been rescued. He's very excited, and they see three huts on the island. Like, well, why, why is there three huts? You're one man, and you got three huts on the island. And he said, well, one is the place I live. And one is my church. And then one is the place I used to go to church, but I didn't like that church, so I had to build a new one. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good joke, right? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we've all fallen short of God's glory standard. I don't even know where I was going. Somebody, somebody come up here and finish this. I don't know where I was going with that. All fall short of God's glory standard. We're not perfect, just like there is no perfect church. There is no perfect people. There is only one perfect, and He is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet God, with His undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He just says, righteous, righteous, righteous. How does He do that? It's a process. He does it through a process. What is that process? We know it's Jesus Christ, right? We know that the Jesus Christ is the answer, but there's like... This whole gray area. What about the people before Jesus? we got to address that, right? What about the people that were there before the cross? We've we got we to figure that out. It says, He did this through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. Now, this is the gospel, okay? Like, I don't know what to tell people, Go to Romans chapter 3 and just read this. It, it tells them right here. It's for people that believe that, that Christ did it by, shaving, by shedding his blood for every single one of us. That's how we're made right. That's how we're made righteous. It's a process. God did it through Jesus Christ. And, and, and Paul's like, we got to address these basic things. we got to address the fundamentals here so that you understand salvation. It's going to be key for these people living in Rome who's got to tell people about salvation. This sacrifice showed that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead, including them, and in what he would do in this present time. Okay, here's what we get. All right, good. This is the question we needed to answer. What about those people before Christ? We've got to figure that out, right? This is what, this is what Paul is saying. When God looked at those people, when, when, when he saw those people, you know what he saw? He saw their faith. It was their faith in God that saved them. It was not the animal sacrifices. If you look at the sacrificial system in the Old Testament and you think, well, those animal sacrifices are what saved them, you would have it all wrong. If you don't believe me, go and read the book of Hebrews. He talks about all the Old Testament heroes of the faith, and he talks about what saved them was their faith in God. And here, God is saying he was holding back his wrath. Every single one of us is deserving of God's wrath. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer that Christ shed his blood and paid the penalty for your sin, then your sin penalty has been paid. It was paid on the cross. It was paid by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being whipped and beaten in the flesh, ripped off his bones, and, 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 and his bloody, bruised body hanging on a cross for you and me. The wrath of God was poured out. See, it wouldn't be okay for God to just say, Oh, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. See... The Bible tells us that that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. What does that word remission mean? It can't be paid. You can't pay for the sin unless there's shedding of blood. You can't can't pay the penalty of it unless there's shedding of blood. And that's what Jesus Christ, that's why shedding of blood is mentioned in this passage, is because that's the only way the sin penalty can be paid. Now, if you're not a Christian... One day you will stand in judgment before God and you won't have Jesus Christ who has paid the penalty for your sin, but you'll deserve the full wrath of God on you. It's either on Jesus or on you, and you get to make the choice by you saying whether you believe in Jesus Christ and his shedding of his blood pay the penalty for your sin, or you get to bear the full weight of it yourself. And that's the choice God gives you. I promise you. I promise you, that will not be a pretty day if you choose to say, well, I'm going to take it myself. Jesus Christ didn't do it for me, but I, 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 I'm i going to take the full weight of God's wrath on me. What happens here is you saying, Do you know what the animal sacrifices did? you know what they showed? They showed what was to come. They kept, with every single animal that was laid up there on the altar, the... the Whether it was a goat or a bull or, or whatever, when it was cut open, it was the image of the one perfect sacrifice that would be made for each and every one of us, which was Jesus Christ. Constantly pointing towards the future, pointing towards what was to come. That's why they had to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And then Jesus comes along and he's the ultimate sacrifice and then there's no more. And that's it. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Do you know, do you know that this was, this was pointed... I mean, we talk about the Old Testament. We talk about Moses. Do you know that, that, that God pointed this out in, in the Old Testament all the way back in Genesis chapter 3? If you want to flip your Bible there, you can. I can just read it to you. It's cool. So Adam and Eve had just sinned, right? They, they had just sinned against God they had done what God said not to do, and now they're, they're like, God's dishing out the punishment. He's, he's saying, here's what's going to happen. And he's dishing, even dishing out punishment to Satan, who is a serpent in the garden. He's, he's telling them what's going to happen. I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. The Lord, said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 14, it says, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Everybody's like, good, that's good. What, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> it means this. It means there will be one that comes from woman through the lineage of Eve. He says... You're going to bruise his heel. You're going to take him to the cross. You're going to hurt him, but he's going to crush your head. The one that's on the cross is the one that's going to crush your head. He says he's going to demolish you and he's going to take you out. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we see that that God was, was talking to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And he was telling them, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The rescuer is coming. The redeemer is coming. He's coming. And here we see Paul telling the Romans, he's like over and over and over again, you know what happened? With every single animal sacrifice that was taken back, taking place, God was showing you the Messiah is coming. The one sacrifice is coming. He's coming. I said, And God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in the times past. or he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. He he was saying, by their faith, by their trust in me, and the fact that I was going to provide a sacrifice for their sins, by that faith, that's how the Old Testament prophets, that's how the Old Testament writers, that's how the Old Testament heroes, that's how they were saved, by their faith. It says this over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness. For He Himself is fair and just, and He declares sinners to be right and His sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then and say we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. There's that word, faith. It's based on faith. It's not based on you checking all the boxes and saying, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm making myself right with God. It is a free gift a gift can only be received if you earned it it's not a gift God says that, that, that it is the free gift of God and because it's a free gift you can't boast about it you can't say I deserve this I earned it if you earned it it ain't a gift and God says it's a gift it's a gift so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law If it was something that you could do, something that you could earn, it wouldn't require faith, would it? It wouldn't require faith at all. Say, I did it, I earned it, I deserve it, give it to me. Here's the reality a lot of people hear this and they're like, yeah, I hear you, Kenny. It's just not, not real to me. And you're right. You're right, there may be some people here that, that don't have a relationship with Jesus. But, but this is what I, I want you to, to take away from this. Is that God loved you enough to give his son for you. You don't have to choose to accept that, and you don't have to choose to receive that free gift, but it's still there. It still doesn't change the fact that he, he gave his son for you. We look around at other people and we say, well, they're not worthy. They're not worthy. And we're, we're constantly looking around and pointing our fingers at other people and say, well, they don't even deserve salvation. Well, neither do you. If you wanted what was fair, if you wanted what you deserve, it wouldn't be Jesus Christ. What we deserve is hell. What we deserve is to be forever separated from God. What we deserve is a full wrath of God on our shoulders. But God said, not that way. I'm not doing it that way. He says, instead of the full wrath coming down on your shoulders, I'm going to put it on my son's shoulders. And all the people that had faith in me for a Messiah to come one day, I'm taking all the sin and putting it on Christ's shoulders. And he's going to pay the penalty for sin, past, present, and future. And that's why we say this when we baptize somebody, past, present, and future. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. If you could earn salvation, if you could somehow do enough stuff to earn salvation, and that means you, you are God. And I don't think there's anybody in here that can resurrect themselves from the dead. Death is 100% guaranteed. And unfortunately, the thing is, you don't know when that day is going to be. You don't know if it's going to be 10 minutes from now or 10 years from now or 100 years from now. You don't know. But it's 100% guaranteed. You know, I would hate, I would hate for somebody to, to go out of this place and, you know, after hearing the good news of the gospel that, that they, they were in a car wreck and they died or, you know, something happened and, and they didn't have an opportunity. I said, man, I, I just, it just wasn't real to me. You know what it requires? You know what it requires? It requires that you believe. It requires that you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you can do that, if you can take that step of faith, you don't have to memorize the Romans road. You don't have to know the books of the Bible. You just say, I'm going to continue to grow in my understanding of who God is. I'm going to do my best to honor him with my life. And that's all it requires. I believe you can do that. Let me pray. Father, God, thank you for this precious word. God, there may be people in here that don't know you. People in here that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that never fully confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he paid the penalty for their sin. And God, if there's somebody in here like that, I ought to pray for their soul. God, to ask that you rescue them. God, draw them Lord, to the altar, draw them to the foot of the cross so they can confess you as Lord and God, so that they can fully acknowledge that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sin. And then there are other people in here, Lord, I know that they're hurting, they feel empty and they feel alone. God, they desperately need to be rescued. Just as we sang the song right before the message, God, come to my rescue. There are people right now that are hurting and they're heartbroken and they just need you to come to their rescue. God, the, the only thing that they really need is to have their eyes and their hearts open to the fact that, that eternity is wrapped up. If they are believers in Jesus Christ, that eternity is wrapped up for them. And though they may suffer trials or difficult times right now, it is eternity is what will matter. God, it's because of that hope now that we can have strength. Lord, maybe somebody just needed to be reminded of that tonight. Maybe they just needed to be reminded that, that eternity is really what matters. And whether that's for the believer or the non-believer, God, eternity is what matters. God, I continue to impress that upon our hearts. God, thank you so much for teaching us your word, showing us something maybe we didn't know before about who you are and what you did. God, I just pray, Lord, if you need to touch somebody's life right now because they're in a hurting or in a dark place, or they don't know you, God, I pray that you do that, and I pray that they would respond. God, thank you so much for rescuing us. Thank you so much for rescuing me. Be glorified now in this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all please stand?